Hey, Story Family. Welcome to the Story at Home. This is your host, Giovanna Huffman. For the next eight weeks, we're asking members of the Story community to tell us their favorite Bible story and how that story inspired them to follow Jesus. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, and welcome to The Story at Home. I'm Melissa Irwin. It's so great to be with you today, wherever you are, or in whatever you're doing. We've been exploring some of the individuals we meet in the pages of our Bible. And today, we're talking about one of my personal favorites, Naomi and Ruth. So we find their narrative in the book of Ruth. It's a short story taking just a few pages of the Bible, uh, but it's full of hardships for Naomi and her faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth. Yet it is God's faithfulness and grace that most stands out in their story. So before we get into their story, I want to highlight two important background factors. First, Ruth and Naomi lived during the time of Judges. And this was a dark period for Israel, marked by their unfaithfulness to God and idolatry. So it's from this perspective that we are given a glimpse into the lives of two ordinary yet faithful people. Second, I want us all to be aware of our modern ear that we bring to this ancient account. And while this is an account of two women in a time where most biblical authors tell God's story through men, this was a patrilineal, patriarchal, and patrilocal society, which really just means that the women depended on men for survival. As I summarize their story for you, I'm going to give you some sidelines where our modern ear may be confused. So because of the time it would take to tell the whole story, like I said, I'm just going to summarize the points of the book, but I encourage you to take time. It'll probably take 20 minutes to read it all yourself. So the book of Ruth is filled with hardships, and it starts with with the first hardship of famine. Naomi, along with her husband and two sons, are forced by famine to leave their home in Bethlehem in Judah and move to Moab. Her husband dies, and her two sons both marry Moabite women. One of these women is Ruth. And we read that for 10 years, both women proved to be barren, another setback in a society where women depended on men for survival. So Naomi's two sons die, leaving Naomi to care for two widows while she herself is a widow. So a side note here, widowhood cemented a widow's low rank in this society. So the term means silent one. And without a father, husband, son, or other male relative, a woman had no voice, legal rights, or recourse against injustice. So back to our story. Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws to go back to their family so they can find new husbands to care for them. Another side note, left outside the kin groups, these women were left without protection and provision. So their options were few and starvation was a likely reality. And that's probably why Naomi sent them off. So back to our story again, the other daughter-in-law does what Naomi asks and returns home. However, Ruth cleaves to Naomi. She beautifully tells Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So Naomi and Ruth returned to Judah after God again provided food for his people there. Naomi left Bethlehem full before, but returns empty. 
that she says that she can no longer be called Naomi, which means pleasant, but Mara, which means bitter. And she bitterly explains this by saying, I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Ruth, Ruth, on the other hand, left the gods of Moab behind and chose to put her fate in the hands of Naomi's God and his people without any idea of how things would work out. So they arrive in Bethlehem during harvest, uh, and we are introduced to Boaz, who is a kinsman of Naomi's husband. Proactive Ruth goes out to find food for her and Naomi and happens to glean or pick up the grain from his fields. According to the law, uh, the reapers would leave some grain to provide for the poor. So Boaz protects and provides for Ruth. And chapter two ends with Naomi filled with hope that Boaz could be a potential husband for Ruth. Naomi then suggests a risky move, which Ruth obeys uh, by going to the threshing floor in the middle of the night and asking Boaz to effectively spread his wings over her as her husband. Yet here we have another setback. While Boaz is ready to agree, we are told there is another man who, according to Hebrew custom, had prior claim to marry Ruth. So, side note again, it was the duty of a near male relative, the kinsman redeemer, to protect the family in times of trouble or need. So Boaz, being honest and upright, will not proceed without giving this man his lawful opportunity. After the threshing floor, Boaz talks to this man who has first claim to redeem. He explains that Naomi is giving up what little property she has and that they are all aware that it's the duty of the near kinsman to buy it so that the inheritance stays in the family. The other man eventually declines and Boaz redeems all Naomi has left of her husband and sons, including Ruth. Boaz and Ruth are married. And we cannot forget that she was barren with her first husband those 10 years that she was in Moab. Yet the Lord enables her with Boaz to conceive, and she has a son. Then the attention focuses and shifts to Naomi and how she is redeemed and concludes with the genealogy, identifying this son of Ruth and Boaz as the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David. And we can can link then Jesus to the line of David. This is a story that starts in desperation, yet ends in hope. It exemplifies redemption we ultimately find in Jesus Christ. So there are three things that really stand out to me about this story, and I hope that you can take them away from Ruth and Naomi's story as well. Number one, God is at work when we cannot see it. Life is full of setbacks, even in our Christian walk, and we see this both in Naomi and Ruth. So consider Naomi. When she lost her husbands and sons, God gave her Ruth. And when she could think of no kinsman to raise up offspring for the family name, God gave her Boaz. When barren, Ruth married Boaz, and God gave the son Obed. God provided even when Naomi could not see it. Remember in her bitterness, she asked to be called Mara? I imagine this to be her rock bottom moment in life. What if instead of feeling bitter in the middle of her loss, she could see that God was orchestrating an amazing plan that generations later would affect all of humanity through the coming of God's chosen redeemer, Jesus Christ. 
Of course, she did not notice this at the time, and we do not always either. It is easy to work out of the emotions of our short-term reality, yet what about our eternal reality? Our purpose as Christians is far greater than we can understand. It's an eternal purpose. When we follow him, there is great meaning in our lives that we often fail to understand. God is at work even when we cannot see it. How are you responding to God even when you do not see evidence of his work? Number two, the Christian walk is one of obedience. When we say yes to Jesus, it does not mean that we will live trouble-free lives. Let's consider Ruth. As a Moabite, Ruth was not a follower of God, yet she committed to Naomi's God. She said, your God will be my God. And with the same fervor, she clung to Naomi, and her actions demonstrate a heart of obedience. She served her widowed mother-in-law. She gleaned a field. She fell in love. She had a baby. Nothing, I'm sure, that felt like it was of huge importance. Yet they were all daily actions that were a part of something much bigger than they appeared. We do not always see the importance of the day-to-day, the unnoticed by others, and the seemingly unimportant tasks in our lives. Getting up, going to work, walking the dog, answering the same questions our kids ask us a million times can feel trivial, can't they? Nothing is inconsequential. And for the Christian, what we do in obedience to God, no matter how meaningless it may feel, is always significant. In The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard reminds us that where transformation is actually carried out is in our real life, where we dwell with God and with our neighbors. He says, first, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as a place of God's kingdom and blessing. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Hmm. God is right there in the middle of our day-to-day. How will we respond? Well, God meets us in the small, hidden acts of obedience. It's been my experience that the unglamorous, the unnoticed, and often repetitive places of obedience are also the source of the greatest joy and satisfaction. Eugene Peterson calls the Christian walk a long obedience in the same direction. Where can you be obedient today? Number three, it is ultimately his story. So the story of Ruth and Naomi does not just end happily with the grandmother cradling her infant grandson, which seriously would be cause for elation in itself. But God is doing so much more than the blessings seen in the family of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. While the author points out these blessings, the narrative ends with an expanded view of redemption. The son Obed directs us to David, David as the lineage to Jesus. As Romans 8.23 says, Jesus points forward to the resurrection of our mortal bodies, where as Revelation 21.4 says, death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It is ultimately his story and one that we are invited into. As Christians, God's story is our own, and it means that our days are oozing with eternal hope. Can you see hints of eternity today? 
Perhaps you cannot see God working in your situation right now. And maybe this has led you to bitterness like Naomi. Or perhaps you struggle to see the significance of your own obedience to God. Wherever you are, take heart. God loves you. God is working where you cannot see it. And how you respond in obedience matters. Thank you for joining us at The Story at Home. Remember, church is not a building we go to, but a family we belong to. 